Hello and welcome back to the Santander Mental Wellbeing Podcast. How are we all feeling about the latest announcements that we're going to have all restrictions lifted on the 19th of July? I I, I don't know. I, I'm sure many of you, for, for many of you, it's going to be a complete sense of relief. But for a lot of others, there's still this strange kind of like nervous energy about being thrust back to the, the new or I suppose the old normal Um no social distancing, no no compulsory mask wearing. I mean, it kind of is back to the old normal. Um, I was thinking earlier today, actually, what, what would be my one piece of advice? And, and, and it probably is take your time. If you're ready to really jump back into the old or nor, you, new normal, whichever way you want to look at it, then awesome. Go for it. If you're not ready, look after yourself. There's no need to rush. Don't feel pressured to go back to the old normal if you like the new normal. This week, I have a massive, probably our biggest episode yet. In fact, no, no probably about it. This is our biggest episode yet. With one of the most decorated female athletes this country has ever produced. She is one of the most inspirational women this country has ever produced. And um, she is just fantastic. This podcast has got the absolute privilege of welcoming Jess Ennis-Hill for this next episode. Jess, the poster girl for the 2012 Olympics, as well as a multiple gold-winning Olympian, world champion, um, not to mention a dame as well. Uh, I mean, the list of extraordinary accolades just goes on and on. I I remember watching her on the Magic Saturday. I think that's what it was called. And um, and just being completely in awe of what I was watching. So imagine how I felt when I got to sit down with her for an hour and kind of pick her brains about how she keeps mentally healthy under, under the various different, like, Uh, pushes and pulls of her life how does she keep mentally fit under pressure what does she go through how has being um being a mother um uh, throughout her her athletics career but also her life um uh, impacted her but also um coming back from adversity and and we touch we touch on loads more in this episode this episode is full of amazing snippets of truth Relatable knowledge, um, loads of takeaways that anybody can literally digest and implement in their own lives. So uh, I'm going to stop talking because uh, without further ado, welcome to the podcast, Jessica Ennis-Hill. Jess Ennis-Hill, welcome to the Santander Mental Wellbeing Podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. How are you? Yeah, really good, thank you. Really good. Right, I'm I'm sure most people listening will be be interested to know how lockdown, how the COVID experience has has changed, shaped, um, molded your life in various different ways. What 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 impact did it have on you? Um, I think very similar to everyone else. I think we all kind of experienced it slightly different, but in a similar kind of way at the same time. Um, and I think, gosh, it just kind of blows my mind thinking back to that first lockdown and how everything changed for everyone's lives so quickly in such Mm. an instant. Um, And I think for me, the biggest changes for us was, you know, just having the kids at home all the time and Mm. changing you know, trying to find ways to entertain them and keep them stimulated and and happy, you know, whilst being in the house, like 
all the time. Um, and yeah, it's just a really strange feeling to think that you almost felt like you were in this bubble where mm. you kind of had to just like open the door and check that the world wasn't continuing around you and that actually everyone else was, you know, confined to their house, their flat or wherever they lived and um, just trying to make the most of such a bizarre situation. Mm. Um and I suppose, yeah, you know, we face lots of little challenges along the way. Um, but equally, I think it allowed us to have such a great time as a family unit together, which, you know, you have these moments throughout the year, but actually having that consistency of having, you know, breakfast together every morning and lunch and massive, isn't it? Yeah, you know, all these things that you kind of just get into a way of living and you just roll into the way life is you actually don't have those moments to stop and think actually it's nice to to take a step back and not have to rush out the house and have a million different things to do in your day mm. so yeah we took a lot of of real positives from that time mm. as well we i talk quite a lot well in the mental health world around um around the impact getting off the rat race has had particularly on me um, and suffering with mental health problems, depression, etc. Um, moving away from, okay, I'm going to wake up at half six and get on the tube and life being the same old kind of stuff day in, day out, to now moving into this COVID world, post-COVID world of being able to go and walk my dog in the morning around Richmond Park or whatever that might be, and then coming home and being like, right, actually, I don't have to rush anywhere. Yeah. Um, a lot yeah. of people don't like that, though. Yeah, I think it's it's just that feeling of being out of a routine and that uncomfortable feeling for the mm. first part. Of it. And I think we just, I know I'm I'm very guilty of it. I, I do like a routine. I like structure to my life. I like to know what's coming as much as I can. But then you end up falling into this way of, of this like massive routine that life gives you. And you feel that once you're on it, you have to stick in those kind of boundaries where actually it often takes something external to kind of break that down and stop that cycle of how you live your life. And I think that can be a really positive thing for so many people. Um, you know, just having that one thing that just mixes things up a little bit for you to kind of take a step back and think, oh, do you know what? I don't, you know, for me personally, we don't need to do a hundred activities with the kids at, at the weekend. You know, mm. we don't have to be here, there and everywhere and cramming every minute of the day filled with things because, you know, we want to be productive. Mm. Actually having that time where, you are just doing nothing, you know, as a society, I think we're, we're never really allowed to, to be bored, are we? We don't no. ever have a time where we're not on our phones or we're not, you know, Googling something or, you know, you're just constantly stimulating yourself. Mm. And I think to have that time where you can just completely mm. switch off from everything is so important. You talk about boredom. I had a very interesting conversation with a musician, actually, uh, last week, um, a guy called Jamie Catter, who incidentally, I don't know if you're into um, your dance music in the late 90s, um, <laughs> but he, he, he was one of the founding members of Faithless. Um, yeah. And he has this, I think, quite contrarian view on parenting, um, all the contrarian in the fact that most people would never, ever do this ever. But when their kids are bored and they say, Daddy, I'm bored, or his mm -hmm. kids are bored, Daddy, I'm bored, he says, all right, and lets them deal with the boredom. They're not allowed to go on their iPad. They have to actually use their creativity. And I think yeah. that takes enormous strength, actually, from a parent to be like, all right, cool. 
what are you going to do about it? Oh, yeah, I agree. I think, you know, it's so easy and kids are constantly, you know, coming to you and saying either I'm bored or I'm hungry and they're hungry because they're bored. And it's just that cycle of I know. I want something to do. And I think that is a really valid point, you know, being able to to say to your kids, I'm not here to constantly stimulate you. You have to find ways of of entertaining yourself. And, and like you say, be creative because these are all really great qualities that you need as an individual and you know in later life as well absolutely one thing i've done a lot of research on you i hope you don't mind um <laughs> uh, and actually that will yeah given that you you're, you're you've been this amazing olympian for so long um the one thing that st- struck me the most jess was actually in and amongst being the poster girl for 2012 uh, olympics in and amongst being this um amazing olympic champion uh, an entrepreneur um a uh, very large public profile actually you're a normal person and <laughs> I that I, yeah tr- and that is is amazing because i think that where i want to head with this episode um is understanding how actually your life as an olympian your life as a high performance athlete but then as a entrepreneur and actually probably most importantly a mother and 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 a wife um is incredibly relatable to the 22,000 people who are working within Santander right now um talk to me about pressure pressure under performance um sorry performance under pressure um when you were on the start line at the 2012 Olympics what kind of things did you do in the moment to take your mind off the enormity of the situation you were in? Oh gosh, I mean, it was it was a very nerve wracking time, probably one of the most nervous moments of my life. And you know, I'd I'd always be anxious and nervous before every comp- competition, but obviously this one had such a huge weight of expectation and pressure, and I think. Actually, the point where I felt at my most nervous was before I'd actually got to the track that morning. So, you know, trying to fuel my body and have some breakfast and and get on the bus down to the warm up track. And then actually in those moments where I stepped out onto the track to compete in a really strange way, I had this kind of wave of calmness. Like I felt really kind of where I needed to be. I felt prepared. I felt that I had the things that I needed to focus on set in my mind and I didn't allow my mind to think about anything negative anything going wrong the number of people that were watching you know my parents in the crowd I didn't for one second think about any of those things I just looked down the track at these hurdles these barriers and focused on two three technical things that I wanted to achieve within that race and that's where I kept kept like my main sorry my dog's come in my main no my welcome main. welcome <laughs> um yeah and I felt that kind of really strange feeling of calm because I I was just ready I was just really really at home and just really excited for what the next few seconds is going to going to bring to me more than anything that's it's fascinating and I imagine actually that we're talking really in the scenario of 2012 correct but I can't imagine that started in your first ever race and actually those were the the sort of um 
routines that that you instilled, but that was actually a process because I think um, most people going into a nervous meeting for the first time or, or a, a big board meeting or a sales pitch, um, it will be... It, often it will be a horrendous event and it will be a horrendous experience. How did, how did your, um, how, how did your uh, ability to tackle your nerves change throughout your career? Oh gosh, it was such a huge learning curve. And like you said, that moment and how I felt at that, you know, precise moment at the Olympics, you know, it took a long, long time to get to that point. And I suppose it was through experience of kind of having setbacks and disappointments in different competitions. It was the experience of being prepared in different ways. So whether I had injuries that I was kind of trying to keep at bay or whether I'd had a difficult lead up to a certain competition, it's all, for me, it was all those kind of unique experiences and processes that I'd already been through that I could kind of draw on and take something from each one of those moments. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, I'd been competing for years and years. I started athletics when I was 10. So mm. it was years and years of, of, of trying to kind of know how to respond to certain situations, understanding my body, understanding the adrenaline and that feeling of feeling sick and, you know, mm. not wanting to be there and your legs feeling like jelly, you know, like you feel when you go into a meeting, like you said, or you have to. Or do a podcast episode with Jess Grenis Hill. Yeah. <laughs> it is that feeling of that kind of jelly leg and you're a bit nervous but I always had to tell myself that these are normal like physiological reactions Correct. to this situation and I need to feel like this because if I wasn't nervous and I didn't have this adrenaline pump around my body then my performance just wouldn't be there you know I mm. needed to use those those adrenalines and you know that that kind of feeling to get the best out of my performance mm. so yeah it was a lot of kind of like I said experience and understanding how I functioned in those high pressure situations mm. the, you, I can imagine you had a slightly interesting relationship with the press and I asked this because obviously we're recording um uh, on the day of England versus Germany later and uh, as we both know the press are brilliant at building you up and then um, even better at immediately um, immediately bringing you down um, mm -hmm. the press is always I think ready to jump on athletes backs when they're not as successful as we'd hoped um, I'd be very interested to explore the psychology of, of, of handling media pressure, although it's not too applicable to the 22,000 <laughs> Santander employees. I just find it fascinating how you, how you were able to block out that external pressure, especially from the British media, worldwide media in, in, in those, in those um, events. Um, I think it's a really good question. I think I'd probably say two factors are at play. So, I think my my setup, my team, my family, and having a real consistent, stable like environment at home and and at the track, tr like training wise, was really mm. really important for me. So although everything was happening and everything was changing around me, and you know there was plenty of articles and there was this massive build up and expectation happening everywhere actually my consistency and the people around me was just the same as it had always been and they kind of just kept me ticking along nicely and didn't allow me to get too carried away with anything or didn't allow me to 
get too down on on anything that was said or not said in the media um and then the other thing was I just tried to be really just really open and just be myself with the media mm, so authentic I never tried mm. to hide anything I, I tried to be as just you know showed my emotion when I felt down about performances but also you know did the same when it went well and just tried to build that relationship where yeah, they felt that I wasn't trying to be deceitful in any way. And this was me and, you know, kind of where I was coming from. And I think that helped me to just... That's yeah, a really interesting point because I think... Um, I don't know what... Let's, a huge percentage of athletes, sportsmen and women, are actually quite sterilised when it comes to the media because they've been so heavily media trained and they're so desperate not to say anything wrong. But I think yeah. the media actually then looks at that as, uh, well, they're not going to give us anything, so we're just going to going to release yeah. this story about their, uh, uh, about them uh, drinking or whatever and um, we don't care. Um, authenticity is huge for that media relationship. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, and I think in a way, ironically, I didn't actually do any media training when I was kind of during that phase really? of my life. I, I, yeah, I, I mean, I was offered to do bits, but I kind of just think when it's something that's so personal to you and athletics was, you know, my whole life and I knew everything about my training and who I was and what I wanted to achieve that... I felt really at ease and comfortable talking about that. And I didn't, like you say, I didn't want to go into too much of a, an area where you have to delve into how you communicate because it takes that kind of natural kind of conversation away from, from what you're talking about. So mm. yeah, I think that helped me a lot. And um, yeah, again, just tried to be as open and, mm. and myself as I possibly could be. You're a mum. You felt... You 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 fell pregnant um, before the 2012 Olympics, right? And then came back to win gold. Oh, no, 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 definitely not before the oh, 2012 right. Olympics. That would have been what a challenge. Was the, what was the chronology? So I I fell pregnant with my son in 2014. So right. Okay. That was post the 2012 Olympics, but before the Rio um, Olympics in 2016. There we go. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, so I had a, a period of time um, out from the sport, having my son, and then came back to um, to win the World Championships the following year in 2015 and then um, went to the Rio Olympics to pick up a silver there. Um, wow, okay. Thank you for correcting me. Um, <laughs> even more impressive in that case. Um, you, you, so you fell pregnant and you came back to win uh, gold and yeah. silver. Mm -hmm. um what was that experience like being uh being a mother trying to juggle this incredibly busy training schedule and i'm sure you've been asked this several times before but i think it's it, it's fascinating for um for mothers and fathers actually within the santander um community who are who are probably struggling actually with being a being a being a new parent or being a parent and trying to bring up children in and around incredibly busy schedules it, it it sounds like a bit of a nightmare must admit <laughs> without a doubt you know I've said it so many times before it was the most challenging time of my life and my career you know up until that point you know getting to the 2012 Olympics I thought life was stressful and that was a challenge in itself but actually 
you know, coming out of your sport or like you say, you know, stepping out of your career, whatever that might be and having your your first child and starting your family and then trying to find your way back into your career. And for me, it wasn't just finding my way back. It was, you know, physically trying to, you know, build my body up again from from what it had gone through through pregnancy and, and having my first child and then to trying to get it back to that kind of elite level was... Yes, so, so challenging. Um, you know, there was lots of moments of, you know, why am I doing this? Am I actually, you know, do I have the motivation? Do I have the drive? Am I going to be as good as I was before? And, you know, all the questions that you ask yourself mm. and the guilt that you have. And mm. yeah, it was... Um, it guilt? Was what, what do you mean guilt? So I think like any parent and particularly mothers, um, you know, you have that feeling of, you know, you want to do everything for your child to make sure you're the best mum that you could possibly be and you give your child the best start in life. And then at the same time, you still want to have a career for yourself and you want to show mm. your child, you know, the career that you you have carved out for yourself and for them to be part of it. Um, but also for me, you know, I was making a decision to, to train some mornings and then come back and, and sort Reggie out and then you know, travel a little bit and I had to leave him for a few days. And all those moments, you know, were just some of the hardest decisions I, I had to make. And yeah, they really kind of just, yeah, you're just constantly asking you question, asking yourself questions to make sure that you're mm. doing the right thing and that it all will work out in the end. Mm. Um, but, you know, thankfully it, it did for me. And I have so much respect for for you know women that you know start their family and you know decide to be a full-time mother but also decide to go back and you know and pick up their career it's a, it's a well, huge I, I was going to say you, you talk about like this internal what you, you allude to this internal pressure you put on yourself but actually that there's there is an internal and external pressure because I, I personally believe um that society puts um puts um men and women m- almost all, all the time women into boxes um, around pausing careers or um, giving up on what they love to do in order to raise children. I think we're getting better at that, but it's still not quite there. And there is this enormous external pressure, which is like, well, okay, um, you're doing really well in your career, but you're about to have a, about to have a, have a baby. Um, we, can't, we can't do this anymore. Mm. Uh, it, it's a real problem. Yeah, and I I definitely experienced that, you know, I think you see a little bit more now, I see more women within various different sports stepping away and having a family and then coming back. But for me at the time, there was definitely the questions asked as to whether, you know, I wanted to come back, whether I would come back, whether I'd be good enough, you know, I, I had a lot of people questioning whether... I could actually do it. And in turn, that gave me a huge amount of motivation. Really? I was going to well, say, what impact did that have on you? But yeah, it sounds like I it actually know, had a quite a positive impact. It did because I had, you know, in my mind, I knew what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, I was very driven and very focused. And I think having people question, you know, what, you know, what I personally wanted to come back and do gave me a huge amount of motivation. Mm. Um, and yeah, I just have so much respect for, but particularly athletes who are such great athletes and they're amazing at what they do and then decide to go away and have a, a baby. Like you come back so motivated and so much stronger than you've ever been because you're doing it not only for yourself, you're doing it for your your child now. And that creates another level of 
mm. of drive, which is, yeah, huge. What processes did you put in place around to, to alleviate the burden, alleviate the stress? In fact, what process did you and your husband um, and your family and your team put, put around you to alleviate the burden and the stress of, of being a young mum, but actually then then going back into wanting to be um, this top Olympian and, and winning gold and, and also managing this, this extraordinary work schedule? What, what process did you put in place? So I immediately had to sit down with my coach and this was even before Reggie was born. And I sat down and I said, you know, my training schedule is going to be completely different. I can't be at the track all day, every day. And, you know, for however many hours, just you know, ticking away at training, I now have to adapt the way I train. So I have to focus on really high quality sessions. So I may only be down at the track for two hours in the morning, but I will be down there and I will commit myself to doing, you know, the best training I can do. But then I'll be going home to my son to make sure that everything's okay. And and then I'll do a strength session at home in the garage. You know, I won't be coming back down to the track. So it was just more of managing expectations from people around me and the team um and just knowing that the kind of training that I would need to do was going to be very different to what I'd ever done before it was less about volume and it was more about quality Um, and then having like you say you know my husband my my parents my in-laws everybody just being there to to help and you know bring Reggie down to the track and and support me in in as many ways that they could and they were absolutely incredible you know they were a huge huge part of why I was able to you know even just go back to training um you know after having him Mm. when did you retire or or leave athletics so I retired after the 2016 Olympics right yeah my last competition um the transit a, a lot of one of the big topic areas actually um in uh sports is this transition that athletes professional sportsmen and women go through um leaving their sports and then finding it incredibly difficult to kind of assimilate back into well yeah back into normal life and Mm. what was your transition like um in all honesty it was it was great (laughs) i know i i have i've got friends who have, have retired from from sport and you know, I've heard lots of different individual experiences of, of what you've just spoken about, you know, that transition back into normal life and not having that routine. And, you know, athletics and sport is, is not just your job, it's your whole way of life. Um, and many people are forced into retirement through injury or through setbacks or things that are out of their control. And for me, I felt that particularly in that last year kind of training up towards the the Rio Olympics that my motivation was there but it wasn't it wasn't the same as it had always been you know I felt that I wanted to to get to the Olympics and that was my my big goal but I was also motivated by the kind of excitement of retirement and I knew that when I felt like that that it was time for me to what excited you about retirement I think it was just that feeling of I felt that I'd kind of almost done all I wanted to do within the sport and mm. I was very excited about my life as a mother and, and having more children and you know athletics had been my whole life you know mm. the way I ate the my teenage years my university years everything had been about athletics everything had been about training and preparing and 
you know, making sure that I picked up medals at all these major championships. And then I kind of had this realization that, you know, I'm coming to the end of my career now and I'll have weekends to do what I want and I won't have to, you know, have all these really strict deadlines of, of competing. I won't have injuries. And yeah, I just found myself at that point in my career where I was just, yeah, just excited to go on to that next phase of my life, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, Olympic swimming champions, Ian Thorpe. I mean, Kelly Holmes has talked about the, the issues that they felt with, with um, around their mental health and, and really suffering. Um, I'm sure you know a, a fair few, uh, well, you know a lot of athletes now who have retired. Um, and, and I'd be interested to understand the insights that you've gathered from them retrospectively about what they might have done differently to support their mental health or support anybody transitioning from one area of their life, which was so big Hmm. to a different area, which um, is actually uh, all up in the air. Uh, There's it's, 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 it's it's, what what kind of insights uh, did they have? I think, I think it is tough. And I think it, it depends on, on you as an individual and how you've come into that next phase of your life. So like I spoke about whether, if you are a sports person, you've had injuries and ultimately you've had to retire through an injury. That's a whole different way to enter retirement. And if you have that feeling of things that you regret or, you know, perhaps unfinished business, that's really hard to Mm. then move forwards because you've always got that feeling of if only I'd been Mm. able to. Um, Thankfully for me, I didn't have that feeling. I kind of had that feeling of I'm ready to go into the next phase of my life and it's within my control everything was made on my terms um but there are so many sportsmen and women who yeah just have that kind of structure and focus of their life for so long and then it all it it just all stops you know you you stop training you you know you don't have any media attention that you had before or it's that kind of feeling that life is just very very different and I think in those moments, it's about having the right people around you to kind of put everything in perspective and be a rationale. And I think for me, again, having my son and a focus of, of being a mother, that was a huge thing for me. I think if I'd gone into retirement, not having Reggie and then just being like, oh, what do yeah. I do now? I probably Absolutely. would have felt very different because mm. um, I wouldn't have had that focus there. So I think everybody's journey into retirement, whether you're a sports person or not, or into a next phase of your career is challenging. Mm. Um, and it's, again, for me, it's about having that perspective in what you do. And um, yeah, just that understanding that change is, is good and it's going to feel uncomfortable at first, but um, there's a way of finding great positives from it. Mm. Um, have you listened to Jake Humphrey's High Performance Podcast? I ha- I've heard a couple. Yeah, I've heard yeah. lots of podcasts there. And it's yeah, uh, yeah, he's, um, I'm sure actually it, it, fairly soon you might get an email uh, asking you to go <laughs> on it, I imagine. Um, uh, which is, I just wanted to touch upon high performance because um, I'm sure there's going to be quite a few um, uh, high performers or, or people within significant leadership roles within Santander who are going to be interested in your take on this. But um, as a high performer at elite level, um, like, I think there's a there's a distinction here between 
um, high performance tendencies and and how you um, don't let that affect your mental well-being mm. um what's your take on that like how would you see how do you see high performance and, and also like what can people do to to not not affect their, their their mental health and mental well-being in those situations i think i i mean it's tough and it's easy to say it sometimes isn't it how you kind it of is, work yeah. yourself through those processes but actually putting it into practice is another thing and i think for me i think i i did a psychology degree when i was very <laughs> like years and years ago when i was at uni and psychology is always an area that's really interested me and how mm. we deal with certain situations pressure and expectation and all those various things that we put on ourselves um I think perspective is like a massive thing and I, I find it helps me so much so it's that understanding that you have these great highs and whether your performances are going brilliantly you you know you take great positives from them but it's those failures and understanding that when things don't go well it's how you kind of like frame them and understand them um and for me, you know, whenever something went wrong, I had an injury or I didn't perform the way I wanted to, it's ha I kind of always made it that kind of external justification. I never made it an internal thing. This is me. I've done something terribly wrong. I need to right, correct it. I kind of always found a way to kind of externally kind of explain that kind of... Mm. Can you give an example? Yeah, so I suppose yeah, I'm the long jump. The long jump was an event that I really struggled with so much. And, you know, I could very easily go within myself and say, you know, I'm, I'm terrible at long jump. It's me. I'm never going to get better at it. This is, you know, a waste of time. I've, I've spent years trying to get on the board and perfect this event. And it's just not happening because essentially that's what was happening. Um but no, I had to break it down. And with my team, we focus on the external things that I could rectify and whether that's strength work or, you know, technique and, you know, weather conditions. You know, if I had a competition where something didn't go particularly well, I could justify it with bad conditions, not internally justify it as something right, that interesting. I got terribly wrong. Um, and I think that helped me a lot. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's understanding the, pers the perspective surrounding, you know, high performance and, and what you're, what you're setting out to achieve and knowing that, you know, things don't last forever and, and how you frame things is really, really important. I think. Mm. Segways very nicely actually into being an entrepreneur because you've, you've set up this extraordinary brand, uh, the Genis app, um, What's life like being being like an entrepreneur? What's well, I'll rephrase that question. What what what's life like being an entrepreneur? It's such a different world. It's really, um, it's so it's so crazy. It's I, I you know I've spent many years doing what I've done for like my whole life, what I've kind of perfected and and just known everything about. To then stepping into retirement and finding myself in this world that is so so different and so unknown and. Yeah, it's exciting because it's it's a huge challenge and it gives me a different kind of motivation. Um, and I've learned so much. Like you're constantly mm. learning and evolving and meeting new people. And I suppose it's very, very different. But then in a way, I found that I can use my kind of sporting knowledge and the way that I've handled certain situations within my sporting career and kind of cross them over a little bit and you know, you I was going to ask what, what what's what's been transferred um into your into your, into being a into being an entrepreneur 
I think it's just that kind of understanding of process, understanding of of how a team works. I, you know, I had a fantastic team within, you know, within the athletic world and worked with some great people. And I've taken some amazing points of how a team works really well together and how to get the most out of a team. And that's something that I'm definitely trying to apply to my new team now. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think that just that, kind of you know the the things that you learn through having setbacks and pressures again and everything that I've dealt with years and years and years I've been able to apply now and Mm. yeah it's just really exciting to be able Mm. to learn new skills and challenge yourself in a different way um remarkably it's one thing we both have in common which is being entrepreneurs um I always find that I uh I I look at entrepreneurship as this this amazing journey but I'm 99% of my day I'm out of my depth and (laughs) um for somebody who generally speaking likes to have quite a lot of control that's been really difficult um have you felt out of your depth at all I can imagine so and if so what has been the biggest uh biggest moment you thought oh my god what am I doing (laughs) Oh gosh, I absolutely have felt out of my depth. Like, you know, it's it's a different world of of, you know, language, how you communicate, you know, just every element of it to be honest. And um I suppose the biggest thing for me, I did a, a course a few few weeks ago where there was I think there was maybe fifty different entrepreneurs from around the world and all had these amazing, you know, products and great founders in their in their own right. And the course was on Zoom like everything else is. And um, we had this amazing man taking us through, you know, the things you should learn about product market fit and pivoting, yeah. all these things that are kind of like alien words to me that yeah. now I know everything about them and, you know, acquisition, all this stuff that we don't really talk about in the in the sporting world. Yeah. Um, and I learned so much and it was yeah a few moments where we were kind of all on the call and he just randomly asks someone a question and it's that you know where you're sat there thinking oh please don't ask me please don't ask yeah, me yeah yeah um but you know I, that actually was a four-day course and I learned so much from the people that I was around and mm. and that the man who took the course um but yeah, I think it's it's great. You know, whatever you do in life when it's new, you're going to feel out of depth. You're going to feel uncomfortable at some stage. And that's how you grow. That's how you learn. And, you know, you just look back from where you started, you know, whether it was a year, two, three years down the line and see where you are now. And you'll have failures, but you'll learn so much from those moments. Mm. I, I I say, and I'm going to take complete ownership of this because it is actually my quote. Um, but I, I look back at my kind of, so I've, I've had three different companies now in the last six years mm-hmm. and um, I, and three of them, all of them have failed. Um, but uh, I always say growth comes from being comfortable with the uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And You've that got- was yeah not taking failure as being personal because actually failure when I my last startup failed Wellpods uh the end of 2019 um I I fell into deep depression and I took Mm. it so personally I just thought Mm. oh my god I'm a failure and actually Mm. no I'm not a failure I I started something and I got through that yeah it didn't it didn't work but um that that was uh that was huge for me understanding how growth is is incredibly internal 
Yeah, and I think, like you say, it can be so uncomfortable and no one likes to fail. You know, no one likes to have that feeling where you think, mm. oh, it's not gone the way I set out for it to to go. But actually, you know, you learn so much, don't mm. you? I, I imagine that there's been so many points that you've taken from, from that particular time that either you wouldn't do something that way or you do it in this way or you go in that direction and without failure I know for me from a sporting perspective without failures along my journey and doing things wrong I would never have won you know Olympic gold in London it would it just would never have happened it's never like a easy you know trajectory like straight up there's always like bumps along the way and that's that's completely I mean you talk about product market fit you talk about pivoting um I mean, those were all incredibly alien to me four years ago, but now actually in the last six months, I had this idea for this dog training business we were talking about before the call. And, mm. um, and we pivot, I pivoted that three months ago, um, in one afternoon and it's, it's gone very, very well, but that took, it's taken me from six months from idea to launch with a community. And had I not failed, the first time well the first three times um i would never ever have been able to do that um yeah. but it's my relationship with failure which has changed what's your relate how's your relationship with failure changed yeah i think i mean i can think of you know a few real key moments within my career where i would say that for me they were you know you, they could be seen as failures either where i've not achieved what i wanted to achieve or particularly for me having a you know a really terrible injury before the Beijing Olympics in 2008 I look back at that time and and at the time for me that was a huge failure you know my body had mm. broken down I'd, I'd obviously trained too hard I'd, I'd not rested I've not recovered the way I needed to and you know me and, and the team we'd, we'd got it wrong and it you know it resulted in me missing an Olympics and you know having a good chunk of time out of out of the sport um but now I look back at that time and I think, gosh, I wouldn't have changed one moment of that. That had to happen for me in that way. And I had to experience that disappointment and that feeling of failure to be able to come back more motivated, stronger, you know, more kind of with better tools in my armor just to know how to deal with disappointment. And I think that mm. was a, a massive, massive time for me. Um, so, yeah, I think... I think as you get older, you you have a better relationship with failure because you kind of understand it and you understand yes. that you, you, know, you have to go through that. I think when you're young, you just think that you're kind of invincible and you don't ever want to fail or you're not ever going to fail. Absolutely. Um, I remember reading somewhere, I can't remember who said it, but they spoke about within sport obviously if you're in the weights room and you're trying to get stronger you know you do a one rep max and at the end of it ultimately you will fail because you're trying to max out to the point where you can't lift anymore so whether that's bench press and you've got eight kilos on and you can't do that last one you will fail so you're ending on a failure but actually you've not failed in any way because your muscles have adapted they've they've torn and they'll get stronger and you know, you'll, you'll grow huge strength from, from that one failure. But yeah, it's, it's our relationship with it, isn't it? It's the way we interpret it more than anything. It's the weight we put on experiences, which actually determines who we are growing up, um, which is, uh, that's probably a whole nother podcast we could do. Um, mm -hmm. I, 
I threw out to my own Instagram following, which is nowhere near yours, Jess. Um, but um, I, I, th- I threw the fact that we we're speaking um, and asked some questions. So I hope you don't mind. Um, but there's there's a couple of questions, really interesting ones that have come back from people. Um, WGC Mental Health. Will we ever embed mental health professionals in sporting organisations? Yeah, I, I for me, it's it's such a huge part and I think through the kind of latter part of my career sports psychology was you know starting to be you know very highly spoken about I think at the beginning it was something that you know as a young child coming into sport it's not necessarily the support that you get and I think it Mm. should be given to you from day dot you know the psychology support around um sport um, but yeah, I think it's, it's a huge part, you know, you can be at your physical best, you can be skilled and an amazing athlete, but if your mindset isn't right and the psychology behind your performances isn't there and you don't have the right professionals to speak to, then, you know, it can have a massive impact on your performance, but it can also have a massive impact on, and you coming out of your performance and you going into your next phase of your life or your retirement. So yeah, I think it's a it's a massive, massive part of um, of sport in general. Mm. I agree. I agree. Um, Fiona Bradley asked, uh, "Does she ever get imposter syndrome?" Yeah, I definitely feel it now. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine so. Yeah, <laughs> being an yeah. entrepreneur, but yeah, I suppose. I think everybody feels it to a certain extent, but I think when I was competing, I kind of would always just tell myself that, you know, I've trained so hard. I've done all the work. I, you know, I'm entitled to be here. I'm, you know, I've, I've worked as hard as all these other girls lining up on the start line. I believe in myself and I'm going to come out there and I'm going to show you. So I think although you, you know, you feel it in moments when you're perhaps at home by yourself, I think going out there and, and being confident and being prepared is is one of the you know the biggest tools you can have and yeah and and just acknowledging that everybody experiences it at some stage but mm. it doesn't have to take over you if you know what mm. I mean. It's really difficult. Imposter syndrome is I actually I, I so in the entrepreneurial community it is one of the biggest causes of um, depression. Um, there's a big study in the US that was done, um, by a guy, Michael J. Watson, I think. And, um, and they found that, uh, I think 72% of entrepreneurs, uh, suffer with mental illness throughout their career, which is an extraordinary statistic. Um, mm-hmm. but the, the big catalyst from that is people say, thinking that they don't deserve it. And mm-hmm. then, uh, it takes over. Um, it's a again it's a whole nother podcast you can do um but it's it's just it's a massive massive problem for a huge people a huge amount of people I, I don't know how you solve it I don't know how you I don't know how you tackle it um it is I I think that is that is a huge number and I think being an entrepreneur as well it, like a sports person it's it's all consuming isn't it it's it is. it's kind of every element of you know your day you know whether you're doing other things it's always at the forefront of your mind there's always something to check an email or something that's changing and evolving you have to be on top of it all the time um and I think yeah I think I definitely take moments where you have to sit back and just go 
it you know it will be what it will be you have to kind of rationale things like that sometimes and you can get so caught up in every little detail but I do think moments of you know what things will find a way of sorting themselves out and it will be what it will be and you know not being too all consumed and I think that again it's easier said than done isn't it but yeah in my, in my own special way I when when things get really like rough as you've after you just said I always revert back to none of it really matters because exactly. the, the sun is going to shine um not today um <laughs> my, my, my dog is still going to go for a poo in the morning and hopefully in the evening um and uh, and and people are going to um, be born and they will die today. Uh, and that yeah. is that. And that is such such an amazing way to look at it, isn't it? That at the end of the day, you know, does it really matter? Mm, you the know, earth keeps like, spinning, you know, sadly. Yeah. <laughs> sadly, <laughs> although I, I hate thinking it. Um, I've now, I've got my own quickfire questions because I ask everybody um, these, these four questions. Um, Number one, what's your favourite book and why? Oh, um, uh, I'd probably say a book that, oh, I don't know, that's really hard. I'm very indecisive, by the way, so I, it takes really? years to answer these questions. Um, but I read a lot of children's books at the moment. I can imagine. Obviously, <laughs> love reading. <laughs> um, but I, I read my um, my old sports psychology um my old sports psychologist Pete Lindsay who I worked with for many years um he's written a book called Pig Wrestling um and it's about how we um like face problems how we problem solve how we tackle them how we frame mm. them perspective and it's just I really like the way it takes um you know the kind of performance mindset into everyday life and how you tackle problems and just how you look at them more than anything um, and I really enjoyed that read. So, yeah, that's probably one of my... That's really interesting. I'll put that in the show notes. I'll get yeah, a link to that because that's I might read that myself. Yeah, um, right. This might, this next question might be difficult if you're indecisive. Oh, no. um, <laughs> what lesson have you learned in your life that you know is true but you hate? Oh, lesson that I've learned in my life that I've known. What lesson have you learned in your life that you know is true but you hate? Oh, this is so hard. Um, <laughs> I'm paid to ask the difficult questions, see. This is really hard. Um, I suppose for me, it's always been about patience. I've I've always found it very hard mm. as a sports person. I, I just always wanted to know my path. Like most people, I suppose, I, I wanted to know if I would be a great athlete. I wanted to know if injuries would stop me. I just had this desire for wanting everything to happen instantly and mm. be at the top and be at my very best from day dot. And obviously that is never the case. And it takes a very long time to get there if you ever get there. So I suppose, yeah, learning, learning patience and then ha- becoming a mother that kind of was instilled in me even more, you know, being patient and not knowing everything and how life is going to unfold mm. with, you know, kids are so unpredictable. And I think that's probably, probably mine. Definitely patience. I asked the same question to, um, to Jamie Cato actually from Faithless, uh, who said plain and simply, um, that we will die. Oh, and I thought, 
<laughs> yeah, in a very morbid way. That, that, yeah, okay, but but yeah, I do hate that. Yeah, oh, <laughs> fair. So morbid. I don't let my mind go there. No, but... no, 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 no. Uh, I just thought it was a. I've 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 asked that question now to uh, probably fifty people, and mm. the answers have been amazing. Um, mm. And again, patience is one that we haven't had. I haven't had an answer like that yet. So. Um, very interesting. Um, question number three, your friend who's having a tough time at the moment picks up the phone, rings you and says she's having a really bad day today. What do you say? Oh, I would just find, I, I don't know, I always bring humour into it. So I would find a way to make her laugh and yeah, just try and try and pick her mood up in some way. I would definitely want to see her face to face. I think we spend so much time like WhatsApping and communicating in that way and probably less so talking on the phone or seeing people like in real life. And obviously with the pandemic, we've not been able to do that. So, yeah, I would definitely want to see her face to face. I'd I'd want to give her a big hug. That's the mm. <laughs> thing I've missed over these um, mm. last few months. But, yeah, I think I would I would try to bring humor. I try to make a laugh and again it always goes to back down to perspective i would help her try and help her gain perspective on whatever was you know keeping her down and yeah try and lift her in some way mm, really interesting um question number four and last question what can we learn from dogs <laughs> what can we learn from dogs um Oh, no. I mean, I'm, we're massive dog lovers in our house. We had a lovely chocolate Labrador um, who unfortunately died a couple of years ago. And now we've got um, a sleeping fox red Labrador oh, bless. called Fern. And yeah, I think we learn so much from dogs. I think they just bring us that unconditional love. They elevate your mood when, when you need it to be. They just, for me, having two young kids, I think they bring so much to our family. They allow me to kind of instill patience in the kids which again I think really interesting trouble. yeah I mean my kids want things like yesterday you know mommy I need this mommy I need that yes. and having a dog you know I, I often say to them well no because I'm, I'm sorting fern out and fern needs this and we need to let fern out for a week it's not always about them needing things instantly and getting it um and she definitely brings that into our lives and yeah, I just think the bond that Fern has with my daughter, Liv, is just amazing. And to see really? how much she loves her, how she communicates with her and the relationship they have, you know, after only three months, I can just see that being a long-term amazing relationship. And Best friendship, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah it's, it's just lovely to see. So for me, dogs, they completely enrich your life and they bring they so do. much so yeah i do i'll uh send you the link to uh to get whelp and yes. uh we can get you on as a as a as an ambassador as well um <laughs> <laughs> um jess we've done 51 minutes um i cannot thank you enough what a brilliant brilliant podcast that was oh thank you so much for having me on no thank you and um and uh good luck with uh good luck with Janice. um and i'll also put the link to that in uh in um in the show notes in fact give us a, a quick pitch on Janice because actually to lots of men and women listening it'll actually be incredibly useful if they've not heard of it before yeah so we set Janice up in 2019 and it was really kind of off the back of 
my experiences through sport, through being an athlete and then becoming a mother and just having that real understanding of how my body changed physiologically, you know, how I got back into sport, how I just understood my body at a much higher level than I'd ever thought I, you know, I could and especially being an athlete as well. Um, And it just made me want to kind of set something up where, women had the ability to kind of have that deeper knowledge and kind of understanding of how their body changed through these amazing key phases that we face as women. So whether that's pregnancy, postnatally, um, and more specifically at the moment, we're looking at cycle mapping. So how um, our relationship with our hormones and how exercise can relate massively to how we experience, you know, those hormone fluctuations throughout the month. Um, so yeah, we've, we've done some amazing things. We've been able to map women's training to, to their menstrual cycle throughout the month and just help them understand their bodies Mm. at a better level and understand. Mm. And and how are you doing that? Sorry to get a bit, be, be nausea entrepreneurial question, but I'm just, that's, that's quite interesting. Yeah. So within the app, we have cycle mapping, which was launched a few weeks ago. And basically as a woman, you can go into the app, you go through an onboarding system where you tell us what your goals are, your fitness goals, but also you give us your details of your menstrual cycle. So any symptoms that you you're facing when your period starts, how long it lasts. And by those few little kind of data marks, we can map out a training program for you. So through the month, we'll put in the four different phases that you go through as a woman through your menstrual cycle and the recommended wow. training for what you should do at those key stages so that you, you know, maximize on your training, that you're resting when you should and that you're recovering and hopefully, you know, feeling much more energized and, you know, helping to elevate your mood. That's amazing. Um, I, I didn't even realize uh, classic male ignorance here, but I didn't even realize the effect that that would that would that that can have. But it makes total total sense. Yeah, um, and I think so many women as well. You kind of mindfully go through, you know, what you're expected to go through as a woman, mm. and um, without that further knowledge of actually, you know, the science behind why you feel like this at certain times and what can actually help you. I suppose take control over how you're feeling and and kind of yeah use it to optimize the way you feel more than anything. Amazing, um, awesome. Well, I, I'll put the links to all of that in the show notes so people can find it. I'm sure Santa there oh. will promote it anyway. Um, but that's fascinating. Um, again, Jess, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It's been lovely to speak to you, James. Thank you. Mm-hmm.